And without further ado, here he is in all of his radiant glory. Merry Christmas, Dr. History. Merry Christmas to you, Zab. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. Good. What are we going to talk about today? Well, as you think about an Indian name that was synonymous with jumping out of an airplane or charging down a hill or... What's his the name? Well, let me stop and think. Geronimo! <laughs> you got it. You got it. Okay. So, you know, this is a pretty famous guy. So yeah. we're going to go through his story a little bit. Now, here's what he said at one point in his later life. He said, we were reckless of our lives because we felt that every man's hand was against us. So we gave no quarter to anyone and asked no favors. Mm. That's what Geronimo said, uh, you know, during some of his uh, hostile activities. And, and his name was synonymous with terror in the Southwest. You know, he had a kind of a big split with the Apache tribe as far as with Cochise, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't think I'm going to actually talk. Well, I might talk about that. Okay, we'll, we'll I didn't mean to interrupt you. But, but uh, you know, despite the turbulence associated with his last days as a warrior, his early life was actually pretty calm. Really? Uh, he was born in the wild mountainous country near the headquarter, headwaters of, the, of Arizona's Gila River, Gila River in the mid-1820s. And and he was known as Goyakla. Goyakla. Which stands for one who yawns. One who... <laughs> That's true with you, too. <laughs> I know. Hello, Goyakla. Goyakla. So he was the grandson of a chief uh, in the, of the Apaches, and Goyakla's father married a... And I don't know if I'm going to say this right. A Bedan Kohi Apache. Oh, boy. You're asking the wrong And j- anyway, so... He joined their tribe. Yeah. Well, when Goyakla was an adolescent, his father died. He took his mother to live with relatives among a band that was later led by his friend, Jew, J-U-H. And I'm not Mm. sure if that's how you pronounce that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But, uh, and he proved to be a good chief. Uh, Goyakla performed uh, four kind of novice raids, if you want to call it that, and competed, uh, completed other required activities to gain admittance to the Council of Warriors when he was 17. So it was kind of a Boy Scout merit badge right. to raid and kill? R- well, loot, pill- yeah, whatever. Yeah, to- pillage and plunder right. and everything, yeah. But soon afterward, he married uh, a gal by the name of Alopi. Alopi. Boy, you're really into the I'm, names I'm into the names today. And you're going to get in trouble, you know that. <laughs> I know it. Okay. But he had three children within a few years. Now, uh, Goyakla's entire family, including his wife, three children, and mother, were slain during an 1850 massacre by Mexican soldiers while the Apache men were absent from their camp in Chihuahua. So he was about 30 then. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this, you know, so stunned right. by his loss, uh, um, he lusted for vengeance, and he said, My feelings toward the Mexicans did not change. I still hated them and longed for revenge. I never ceased to plan for their punishment. Mm. So at this point, Goyakla, uh, previously known as really more of a medicine man than a fighter. Really? Uh, he gained prominence as a resourceful and merciless warrior after this. But And the following year, he was called Geronimo. Who changed the name? You know, I, I think, well, let, let me go with this last little bit, and I think that's where we'll understand why they started calling him Geronimo. Okay. Right. Uh, they call him Geronimo after he led a wild charge against Mexicans who screamed, Geronimo. And they were appealing uh, for help to their patron saint, Jerome. Saint Jerome. Or Geronimo in Spanish. Oh, my goodness. So Goyakla's fellow warriors took up the cry, and thus he became Geronimo. What does that mean? Uh... In Apache. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's your homework. <laughs> okay. So anyway, contrary to popular assumption, Geronimo was not a chief. 
Now, he led war parties, numbering as few as three braves into Mexico. He willingly followed the, uh, the leadership uh, of such great war chiefs as, uh, yeah, uh, Cochise, uh, this Joe, and Mangus Coloradus. And for decades, he looted and killed ceaselessly. Question. Got a question. Okay. Uh, wouldn't you agree with me that a lot – you said something a moment ago that I think a lot of historians and a lot of teachers say wrong in the schools, Geronimo was not a chief. Right. Right, exactly. and a lot of people portray him as a chief of the Apaches. Exactly, and he never was. And, no. But uh, popular thought. But anyway, for decades he looted and killed, and his fierce countenance, and I'm going to show you a picture here in a minute, Zeb. But he was a mean-looking dude. He was. Yeah. Uh, his countenance reflected a murderous temperament, and although he stood just 5 feet 8 inches, he was barrel-chested and possessed seemingly limitless stamina. Yeah. He took several wives and sired several more children during his life, but he could never abandon the warrior's life for very long. Now, eventually, Geronimo's enemies included the white people. Uh, Co-chief and Geronimo joined together for a while, um, uh, who was a Chiricahua chief, and he sought vengeance among the whites, uh, civilians. And during the first two months of Cochise's retaliation, 150 white people were slain, and Geronimo participated in this in his share of raids on stagecoaches, ranches, small settlements, all those things. But Cochise uh, brought together 700 warriors, which was the largest Apache fighting force ever assembled. Mm-hmm. And Geronimo was part of this party. Right. And they set an ambush in a place called Apache Pass mm-hmm. on July 15, 1862. And, uh, however, the 126-man army column, which became the targets, uh, target of the ambush, brought two mountain howitzers into play. Well, the resulting defeat at the Battle of Apache Pass convinced Apache leaders that in the future they would rely on small raiding parties, a tactic that really fitted them really well, especially mm-hmm. Geronimo. You're right. Now, this is probably a good time for a break if you want, Zed. I will do that. And a very interesting story about uh, the Southwest and the Apache Indians and Geronimo continues in just a moment with Dr. History. Don't forget Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley with my dear friend Zach and all the folks over there. Let's talk about windows. Let's take a look outside the windows right now and the cold's on the outside and hopefully the warm air's on the inside, but maybe you don't have that luxury. Maybe your windows are not saving on your heating bills. Well, you need to check out the Western Windows with Zach and the crew over there at Minicasha Sales. Whether it's the Western Windows, whether it's the lumber, whether it's the carpet, whether it's the vinyl, whether it's the Tartar Farm and Ranch panels and gates, it's all there for you. A great assortment of what you need at Minicasha Sales. 1321 East Main Street in Burley, and they sponsor Dr. History. And now, here he is. All right. Okay, we're hitting about the 1870s now. Now, they really don't know for sure when he was born, but by now he's about 50 years old, Yeah. supposedly. So, anyway, he settled on the Chiricahua Reservation in Arizona. Later, he was placed on the Warm Springs Reservation, but he kept slipping away on raids. And in 1877, uh, Geronimo's band was struck by a patrol under Lieutenant Rucker in southwestern New Mexico. Geronimo lost 10 warriors. 
Well, he turned up at Warm Springs with livestock stolen during recent raids. Mm-hmm. Uh, raids. Now, angered when he was not permitted to draw rations for the time period he'd been absent on raids, <laughs> which I thought was ironic. Yeah. Uh, he thought he should be paid for when he was gone. Kind of like the people on welfare today. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyway, uh, so here we are uh, in New Mexico's Caliente Reservation. Right. And he was there to draw rations. Well, an agent, uh, the ending agent by the name of Clum, regarded Geronimo as a renegade, and Clung, Clum had him arrested and shackled along with seven of his braves. Mm. Well, Geronimo was moved to the San Carlos Reservation, then released a few months later. Now, less than a year later, he broke away from San Carlos and headed for Mexico. Now, during the Victoria War of the late 1870s, in which Victoria led an uprising of attrition against the whites, Geronimo operated with uh, Victoria. And uh, so the Apaches, late in 1879, uh, they returned to San Carlos. But two years later, you know, they just kept going in and out of these reservations. Didn't uh, at one time, a question here quickly, didn't Geronimo and his renegade band didn't they really wreak a lot of havoc in Mexico against the Mexican people? Oh, yes. Yeah, That's bo- what I thought. Yeah, yeah, both sides of the border, yeah. yes. Yeah. But uh, anyway, in 1879, they uh, left the reservation once again to do battle. And in the spring of 1882, Geronimo led 60 men back to San Carlos. Uh, fighting their way back into Mexico, the renegades were attacked in a camp by cavalrymen. Under a new agreement between the United States and Mexico, this so-called hot pursuit agreement permitted troops from either country Country to cross the border while chasing marauders. So the Apache suffered a lot of casualties by then, and they finally fought their way through to the mountain hideaways in Mexico, where they resumed their war against the Mexicans. You know, when you think about this, and uh, you talk about the years 1879, 1882, and think about how old you and I are right now, yeah. that was only about 67, 68 years before we were born. Not, Not right. very long. Yeah. So here we are. 1882, he's about 62 years old by now. Yeah. So he's getting up there. Like us. <laughs> but yeah, almost. But uh, so again, they, like I said, they were continuing their raids against the Mexicans and the whites. So here comes uh, the, uh, the uh, General George Crook. Oh, yeah. Now, he was making uh, that way of life a little more difficult for the Apaches. Right. The Apaches called the middle-aged General Gray Wolf because he operated like a uh, cunning timber beast. Well, Crook had been fighting Native Americans since the 1850s, and he tried to think like a warrior so that he could understand their guerrilla warfare and methods of operation. So, now, as Crook hounded the Apaches in their Mexican lairs, like I said, they were able to cross the border, the, the Americans and the Mexicans, either direction. So, uh, Geronimo, anyway, uh, Geronimo agreed to a parley with Grey Wolf in May of 1881, But it was nearly a year before the vicious old warrior finally crossed the border, accompanied by nearly 100 diehard followers and 350 stolen cattle. Well, the San Carlos Reservation officials, however, confiscated his herd. Uh, These were not white men's cattle, Geronimo uh, complained. He said, we'd taken them from the Mexicans during our wars. So they really are cattle. Well, Geronimo located uh, his reservation home 17 miles southeast of Fort Apache. Uh, now, although inclined toward uh, stock raising, the Apache were issued plows by the Indian Bureau mm. and ordered to become farmers. While Geronimo's wives did the work on his farm, he remained peaceful for about a year. 
But you can't make a farmer out of a warrior. No. Really. No. So, anyway, Geronimo uh, and other leaders resented the bans on wife beating, drinking, some stuff called Tiswin, which is a weak beer brewed from corn. Ooh, sounds really... Really good. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, uh, they were banned from that and other traditional practices. Well, when Geronimo and the other Chiricahua leaders went on an all-night drinking spree, a few days later, Geronimo, perhaps fearful of repercussions and certainly restless for his old lifestyle, he led four other chieftains, 38 braves and 92 women and children in an in another outbreak. Why do you think they gave him so much respect if he wasn't a chief? You know, that's a good question. And I don't know if it's just because he was older by now, and maybe they just respected the fact that he was... He was an older guy. Yeah. But he, he seemed to have a leadership ability. But something, anyway, something that we could have here in this country. That's true. <laughs> but, the, you know, with all these people, the renegades cut the telegraph wires, then headed for Mexico, and they pushed 120 miles before halting for their first camp. Now, these are women and children, too. That's a long push. So the Apaches scattered with each of the five leaders taking a small band into remote locations. Well, Crook coordinated the pursuit on the American side, while the Mexican troops also rode to the chase. So thousands of soldiers tracked these fugitives relentlessly. And yet Geronimo and a handful of followers remained uh, hidden. And guided across the border by Apache scouts, one of Crook's detachments attacked Geronimo's camp on August 7, 1885, and captured one-third of the band's women and children. So six weeks later, Geronimo slipped back into San Carlos, recovered a wife and a child, then returned to northern Mexico with his family. So he was just, like I say, all over the place. But anyway, when Mexican troops invaded his Sierra Madre sanctuary, Geronimo agreed to meet with Crook. So just below the border in New Mexico, Gray Wolf promised to try to persuade government officials to let the Apache return to their reservation after spending two years as prisoners in Florida. Now, Crook hurried ahead to telegraph Washington about the surrender, uh, only to receive the reply that that was not acceptable. So Geronimo left the custody of Crook's scouts, however, and was on the loose in Mexico with a few followers. Now, a bootlegger had provided the Apaches with some whiskey, Uh which was not good. Nope. And he, unfortunately, became drunk. His misgivings increased, and he said, I feared treachery, and when we became suspicious, we turned back. Now, Crook was criticized, uh, which prompted his resignation. He quit. So now we get General Nelson Miles. Uh Uh-oh. And you've heard of him. I have. And he was throwing 5,000 troops into the field. Right. Now, this is 18... Uh, About 1862. No, it had to be more than that. No, it had to be, yeah. Uh, 1885. 1886. Okay. Yep. So 5,000 troops. They scoured Geronimo's old haunts, uh, but the Apache somehow avoided contact and... Only after Geronimo learned that the other Chiricahuas were about to be shipped to the east did he finally decide to surrender. Now, Geronimo turned himself in to Miles in September 1886, and he shortly found himself on board a train for Florida. Now, Geronimo was incarcerated at Fort Pickens outside Pensacola for the better part of two years. So now here we are, 1888, and he was moved to Mount Vernon Barracks, Alabama, in 1895, they removed him to Fort Sill in Oklahoma. I've been there. Have you? Yeah. Okay. I've been And this there. is where Geronimo spent the final 14 years of his life. At Fort Sill. 
Yeah. I didn't know that. So the old Indian warrior picked up a little English, and he learned to write his name. He became something of an entrepreneur. He was selling buttons from his coat for a quarter apiece, his hat for $5, and he was hawking bows and arrows that he made. And for an extra 50 cents, the customer could purchase the old warrior's autograph. He proudly showed off his many battle wounds. He was a popular attraction at the exposition in Omaha. Isn't that kind of a shame, though? I mean, kind of it a is. degradation of pride. You know, it is. And I, you know, here's a very proud Yeah, uh, it hurts me warrior. to hear that. It really does hurt yeah. me to hear that. In fact, uh, in 1898, he was at the exposition in Omaha, the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo in 1901. So, but now he's about 80-some years old. Oh, my. But uh, the St. Louis World's Fair in 1904, and then Teddy Roosevelt's inaugural parade in 1905. He was actually in that parade. Now, that's getting pretty close to your and my birthday. <laughs> we're, we're, well, we're getting there. Yeah. But despite these extensive travels, he was never permitted to return to Arizona, which really? was kind of his homeland. But as an old man, he remained a crack shot, and he enjoyed robust health into his 80s. He also continued to imbibe a little in the alcoholic beverage department. And on a winter night in 1909, he drunkenly toppled from his horse, spent hours in the cold on the ground. He died of pneumonia in February 17, 1909, and already a legend as the last renegade leader to surrender to the army. Does it say anything in that story that you had about him? What was his response or his intermingling with the whites during the last, let's say, 10 years of his life? You know, I, I'm just assuming from what I'm reading here that that he was kind of a... Did he ever have anything as far as sitting down with somebody that was a good journalist and, and try to transfer his thoughts into a book or something like that? Not that I'm aware of. But wow. Like Wouldn't say, that have been absolutely a oh, necessity? Exactly. You would have thought somebody would have thought about that. Yeah, to be a historian. Yeah. Let me show you this picture. Okay. Hold him. it up so everybody, everybody at home it. can see it on the microphone. Now, does he not look like a formidable opponent? Let me, let me just say that if I saw that face late at night out of a cabin window. With his gun. His rifle there. Uh, uh, mess on aisle four. <laughs> I mean, now this is a picture of one of his wives. Now, and, she's pretty. Uh, she's yeah. kind of pretty. Yeah. So I'm assuming this was not his first wife that was killed. Yeah. Um, but uh, what, what an interesting guy that... You know, I, but really, everything you have there is from the perspective of a historian that just got second and third facts. Right. And it really is a shame that somebody didn't sit down with this man and really get the, the straightforward truth. Yeah. Now, I'm going to show you here another picture. This is when he was a little older, and then this, I think, just before he died. Really? But now, the, the one there, I mean, my goodness sakes, uh, he looks like a very enterprising young yeah. man. Yeah. And again, you know, it is sad that he became kind of a tourist attraction, so to speak. I don't like that. And uh, a proud chief. And he lived, as you think about that, through all the days of the battles with the Indians. In the Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. And lived to be that old. And him and Cochise, I don't think, were the best of buddies. Yeah, I I remember reading about that. They kind of had a splitting. There was a big problem there. Yeah. But uh, and then you mentioned Victorio. Now Victorio was has been featured in a lot of Western movies. Okay. And I think one that comes to mind was John Wayne in the movie Hondo. They okay. kept referring to the Indian to chief Victoria. there as Victorio. Yeah. Yeah. Is it Victorio or Vittorio? I think it's Victorio. Is it V I C T O R I O? I believe okay. so. Check that yeah. out. Anyway. 
That was an excellent story this morning. And really, it's not that far in advance of when we were born as kids. You know what right. I mean? They're only about 60 years ahead yeah. of us. I mean, into the, 19, into the wow. 1900s. And what a shame that he departed the way he did. Yeah. That's yeah. a shame. It is. Uh, anyhow, what's next week? That's a good question. <laughs> Thank you. I'll ask it again. What's next week? I'll know about next Sunday night. <laughs> okay. <laughs>